Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. The easiest way to connect with us from right where you are is by downloading our free Real Life Community app from your app store. You can also find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. going to be in chapter 4 today. If you want to open up um, James chapter 4, we're going to be spending some time in the first 10 verses. And right there in towards the end of that section that we're going to be reading together is one of my favorite verses in the whole scriptures. Uh, It's James chapter 4 verse 8 and it goes like this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Not a great verse. Uh, it's stuck with me for a long time since my high school days because the first and only teen camp I ever went to as a teenager was in my 12th grade or summer after my senior year. And that was the theme for the whole camp was around this verse, come near to God and he will come near to you. And they called it the James Bond, which I thought was pretty clever. Uh, it was probably around some new uh, movie with Pierce Brosnan ba- way back in the day, you know. And, and, and uh, so the James Bond, this bonding that if you come near to God, God will come near to you. And I've always thought that that's just a clever kind of, uh, of approach and a good verse to commit to memory because every human being on the planet, whether they know how to name it or not, has an intrinsic desire deep down in our bones to be near to our creator. Now, sometimes we don't know exactly how to describe that or what words to put on it, but but that is a common desire that is unique to and intrinsic inside each and every human being. We have this longing to be close to the one who made us. We sang about that this morning. I want to be close to you, right? And, And it's not just this sense of wanting to be close to God, but to have the sense of God's nearness to us as well. As a pastor, I hear a a lot of these kinds of questions. God just doesn't seem very near to me. What what is that, Eric? You know, Uh, we, we have those kinds of conversations a lot. And so by itself, this verse is a really special verse, but in context, if you stretch out and look at the few verses around it, verses one through 10, it's about so much more than like a spiritual snuggle or something, you know? It's about more than like an extra five minutes of devotional time in your prayer closet or whatever. Those things are good, but, but this verse is about more than that. James, when he's talking about coming near to God and having God come near to us, he couches this verse in a context of a friendship metaphor. He's going to talk about a relationship in in terms of friendship. And you guys talked about that for just a minute. And so that's where I want to get into this morning. I want to talk about friendships because in order to understand what James is doing with that verse, come near to God and God will come near to you. We've got to understand what James is talking about uh, as a whole metaphor here that surrounds this verse. So I'm curious, every once in a while I'll ask for a little call and response. Uh, If you're not used to this, it's okay. Just shout out. We had a discussion topic. You talked amongst yourselves. What does it take? 
take to make a great relationship. So maybe just substitute the word friendship for relationship there. And what did you say? What kinds of things are necessary to build a great friendship? Go ahead, shout them out. Time. That's what I heard too. Did a lot of people get time? Uh, so those things, time is, is an important part of a great friendship. What else? Commitment. Commitment. What was that? Caring. Caring. Commitment. James just points at people. Uh, listening. Very good. Uh, yeah. Trust. What else? Communication. Understanding. Man, you guys would make some great friends. Y'all ought to get to know each other. And then, like, there'd be some great friendships that would develop around here, right? There's all sorts of things. One of the, like, proverbs in my house that I find myself repeating on a regular basis, it's not an actual proverb, I don't think. Maybe it's a Chinese proverb or something. I don't know. But, uh, but we, we kind of treat it like one around my house is that to, to have a friend you have to be a friend. You guys have heard this, right? That, that it takes, if you want to have friends, then you've got to behave like a friend would behave for somebody else first. And so that's something that we talk about. There's this natural formula. If you want to have friends around you, then engage in ways first that are friendly, right? So you come near to other people and they maybe would come near to you. But it's not always that easy, is it? If it was just that easy, we'd all be surrounded by lots of different friends and they would all be really special and we'd all have these wonderful, great relationships. But it's not always that easy. I remember growing up and those painful times, especially early on and in like elementary school of navigating the best friend world. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember having like, I, I honestly remember bathroom breaks in elementary school and going in and like arguing about whose best friend was whose best friend. And that was the boys, right? Uh, the, like the girls just kind of ratcheted up to a whole other level. We got into fifth grade and it was like a days of our lives soap opera <laughs> with 12 year olds, you know, I mean, or 11 year olds, however old you are in fifth grade. Like it was unbelievable. They could have done a reality TV show because of the, the difficulty that we have navigating this thing where you want to be close to a person. You almost, if we could take it a step further, you want to belong to somebody, don't you? You want somebody to belong to you. You want to share something that's deep in our human nature. See, after a while, we grow out of this maybe a little bit, and hopefully we learn to have a little more well-rounded uh, forms of relationship. We have friends in different areas and social circles and at work and at, in our neighborhood and our family and things like this. But that drive for exclusivity never really leaves us, does it? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think this is a part of what drives us for the desire to have a best friend, that person that you share everything with. It's definitely a part of the underlying drive that people have to get married to somebody. To say, I, I have this desire that I feel like I'm kind of made to be committed. And so you, you commit to a person. And, and in making a covenant to somebody and then making a covenant to you and saying yes to a person in that way, for that example, you inevitably, in that same moment you're saying yes to the one person, you're saying no to everyone else. It's part of the vows, forsaking all others. There's this drive towards exclusivity that exists in us. Uh, and, and so this friendship metaphor that will make sense of that verse, come near to God and he will come near to us. Um, 
That's where we're going, this metaphor that will make sense of that thing. Um, But James sort of backs into the friendship metaphor in chapter 4. And and the way he backs into it, he doesn't just start out with, you know what makes a good friend? He backs into it with like talking about this common human problem that they're having, that his audience is having, that all of us have from time to time. And he starts with a question. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So like the opposite of friendship, right? What, do you, what, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He asks the question, but he's also got the answer. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, unchecked, selfish desires are a big deal for James. He talks about these desires that wage war within us a lot of times, and especially the unchecked selfish desires that if you give into them and you nurture them and you feed them, this kind of self-centered world will implode on a person and ultimately will destroy a human life because we weren't created to live with this inner kind of implosion, uh, inner focus on ourselves. And so he says, these desires that battle within you, that's the kind of desire he's talking about then. And he sees those kinds of desires as a source for all sorts of trouble among God's people. Notice that he's not talking about fights and quarrels like on an international scale between warring nations. He's talking about fights and quarrels among you, within you. He's talking about the body of Christ, God's people here who are fighting and quarreling. And he says that in God's people, the things that are causing fighting and quarreling are these unchecked selfish desires that are running rampant. And so he goes on and he says in verses two and three, you desire, there's that word again, but you do not have, so you kill. And at this point, everybody's like, not, wait a minute. You know, like I had killed nobody, Eric, you know, like, uh, and, and listen, Sometimes you, you stretch this all to the way to the end and a desire left unchecked and frustrated can ultimately lead somebody to that point tragically. But killing, I think, can function for James metaphorically as well. He talks about the tongue a lot, you know? We can get real snippy with our tongue. We can cut somebody down. We can back in somebody. We can sabotage somebody because we desire what we don't have and we see maybe somebody else has it. And so we, we go after it however it would take. He says you covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. These are the ways, listen, of a broken and fallen world. You covet, you have unchecked selfish desires, you don't have what you want, and so you you take action by killing, by fighting, by quarreling to go get it. For James, this is like, listen, these are God's people and they're functioning according to a way that is way outside of the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated and brought into being. He goes on, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. It's like you're God's people. Remember, Jesus told us a different way to be. If you need something, don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. Don't accumulate and think that you've got to watch out for yourself. Just go ask your heavenly father who longs to give you everything that you need. He he says you don't have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, 
You don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I told you, sometimes James is tough, right? This is, uh, this is one of those areas where James is saying, hey, look, we talked about looking in the mirror last week and then forgetting. This is one of those hold the mirror up to our faces here. And James says, you are the people of God who have been given life to function and to live in certain ways and patterns and in, in relationships of obedience and trust with God. And yet you're choosing, he says, to go out and to try and kill and fight and quarrel and secure your own future and leaving off the ways for providing for, that God has put into your life. And even when you do go and ask God for something, very often we're doing that with our selfish motives and our desires and the asking with the ways of the world. It's not like a, a child humbly asking a parent for a meal. It's like a spoiled kid asking for the best piece of meat <laughs> in order that everybody else would go hungry, you know? Uh, so there's a different way to ask God. So even when they're going to God, they're asking with the wrong motives of a fallen world to spend on their own pleasures. Okay. So this is getting quite pointed and a little uncomfortable. Maybe you're squirming in your seat a little bit as James is calling us out on some tendencies here, some flaws and some faults, but I, I, I got bad news for you, more bad news. He's just lining up the nail right now. So if you think this has been uncomfortable, you can just kind of picture James with his pen, you know, just kind of needling in here and lining up the nail and reaching back to the workbench. And he's got a sledgehammer that he's getting ready to bring out. Okay. So I'm just prepping you. He's got the nail lined up. Listen, you, these are the, these are the things that are going on within you. You're fighting, you're quarreling. You don't have, you covet, you go fight and you quarrel and you kill and all these things to get it. And you forget to ask God when you do ask God, you ask him wrong. And here we go. In verse four, he opens it up. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Adulterous. I mean, that's a big word. There it is. I mean, he trying, this, this concept of adulterous, this trying to be in an exclusive relationship with God while nursing this other relationship with the world on the side. This is what he's talking about, isn't he? This is the, the people that he's talking to. He says, don't you know if you're gonna be friends of the world? And by the way, when he says friends of the world, we gotta talk about that for a minute. What does that mean? Because I remember in another place in the scripture, it says that God so loved the world right? That one of the most important, powerful verses in scripture, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life, right? And now James is telling us, you can't be friends with the world. Well, uh, how do you do this, right? 
Well, that's because this phrase means different things in these different concepts contexts. When God loves the world, he's loving the people that he made in the world. He's loving the creation that is good and beautiful and true and needs redeemed and restored and made whole. When James says, do not be friends of the world, he's talking about the broken, fallen, self-centered, destructive powers and ways of the world. And you know what these ways are. All of the ways of the world that if we're not careful, we just step into the stream of the culture and we let it drift and take us wherever it will. It leads to destruction and fighting and quarreling and killing and international warfare and all sorts of other really bad stuff. This is what James is describing as the ways of the world, the selfish, unchecked desire gone wild. He says, you can't have that and be friends of God at the same time. If you're going to be friends of the world, then you become enemies of God. You have to choose one or the other. Listen, this is hard, but this isn't surprising or new. It's not like James is just making something up here that's brand new right before you get to the end of the New Testament. There's this like bait and switch and, oh yeah, you can only have one. It's God or, or everything else. James is just falling in line with something that's been like custom for the people of God ever since forever. You think all the way back to like Joshua leading the people of Israel into the promised land across, across the Jordan River and they have that moment where he like lays it down for him and he says, listen, here's all the things that happen. Now you have to choose. You have to choose. You have to make a choice. There is this exclusivity that must be played out in this relationship with God. This God is not a God who will share you with the things of the world that will ultimately destroy your life and steal and kill your eternal life. God won't share you with that willingly. He jealously longs for you, for your spirit. So Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord, right? Then we get to the 10 commandments and God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't make an image like none of that stuff. It, the Lord your God is one. You shall worship him, serve him only. And then Jesus, you remember all these generations later, Jesus says, you can't have two masters. You can either serve God or you can serve money. You can't serve both of them. And that's just one of the examples, right? And money is one of those, one of those arenas where our unchecked selfish desires can tend to just run rampant. We'll talk about that, I think, next week uh, because James talks about it several times. You can't serve them both. You have to choose one or the other. You can't have an exclusive relationship and friendship with God who jealously longs for your spirit because he knows that he created you for that exclusive relationship and relationships on the side with anything else. So back to the initial kind of concept here in question. We have this inbuilt desire to be near to our maker, to have God be near to us. That's why this verse, come near to God and he will come near to you, speaks so powerfully to us. And at times, 
if you're like most other people that I've ever met, myself included, at times you feel like God is distant and it leads you to ask these questions. Why? Why doesn't God feel close right now? Maybe there's these long seasons of life where you're like, God just doesn't seem anywhere in the building. Like uh, maybe I'm in the wrong city or the wrong country or the wrong region or something because it feels like God must be somewhere else. This is a common human experience. And let me say a couple things about this this morning. The first is, if you've ever found, can I get a head nod? Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Uh, what it's like to just feel like God's somewhere else and distant? Uh, I think the first thing that I want to say is, sometimes that's just the way it is. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing necessarily wrong with your relationship with God because of that feeling. Feelings ebb and they flow. And they come and they go, and now I'm a poet. I didn't realize that. I didn't even plan that, but like whatever, it rhymed. We should make a song out of it. Like, but this is, the way, this is the way it is sometimes. It's just part of life, you know? So if you feel even for long seasons of your life like God is distant, that doesn't necessarily mean anything is wrong. I found in seasons of my life when God seemed especially distant, having to remind myself at times and, and let me just give this to you as a gift this morning. You can maybe remind yourself that my faith and my standing with God is not in any way grounded in how I feel about it. My standing with God and God's nearness to me is grounded in the historical reality of the cross and the resurrection. And man, I believe those things, right? And so that's where that is, is grounded. And even when I don't know that I feel like I believe as strongly as I want to believe, it's a historical reality, right? So for me, I just go back and sit there and like, if God feels close, fine. If God doesn't feel close, fine. It doesn't change anything about what is here. Sometimes you feel distant from God. Mother Teresa one of the giants of the faith, wrestled with this her whole life. She's got journals full and letters full for, to the Pope and these different spiritual directors and saying, I just don't feel God at all. And we look at some of these spiritual giants and we're like, how could that be? Because sometimes, guys, that's just the way it is. Comes and it goes. Sometimes God seems distant just because maybe you slept too little the night before, you ate something weird or... Um, because of your some emotions or circumstances, but James suggests, here's the second thing, that sometimes, and maybe can I say this morning more often than not, it's because we try to juggle two exclusive kinds of relationships at the same time. That sometimes when God seems far off, it's because we're nursing a friendship with a world that longs for that friendship to be exclusive in just the same way as God longs for a friendship to be exclusive. And we can't be tuned well to both at the same time. In fact, I, I kind of like that concept of being tuned because when we become friends of the world, in other words, when we fertilize selfishness and greed and let coveting run wild and we seek success and trophies that look good to society and we give our lives over to carving out our place on the red carpets of the world and the who's who lists of the world and we, we consume the constant gossip and the news and the news that passes as gossip and the gossip that passes as news and we get caught up and we get invested in the power structures of the world and we could go on 
on and on and on. All of these things, we are tuning ourselves, our minds and our hearts and our soul to the ways of the world and the friendships of the world. It's like you can imagine there's a frequency to the world and like our life is like this radio dial, you know? And it's like you can just kind of tune yourself into that so you can get into harmony and into the groove of whatever it is that the world is playing on the radio. And the longer we spend nurturing and nursing that relationship, the more tuned into it we become and the less capable of tuning into the reality of God. Our lives, uh, when we tune to the world, become tuned to a certain kind of kingdom and reality. We make ourselves comfortable in that friendship and in its frequencies. And if we tune our lives to the world, we'll naturally miss the reality of God. You know this. On a radio, you can't be tuned to two stations at the same time. similar with God. And now all of this setup here is where our verse comes in. That's all the context and then our verse comes in right here. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's in this section of scripture in James 4, 6 through 10. James says, but after he smacked that nail on the head with that hammer, he says, but He gives us more grace. Somebody say amen. Amen. We we try and nurse that relationship with the world. We try and have two exclusive kinds of friendships. And it's, it's nasty and it tears our life apart. But he gives us more grace. It says in verse six, more grace, grace upon grace, grace upon grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Look, as great as this verse is, come near to God and he will come near to you. This isn't an extra five minutes of quiet time and back to the 20 hours of tuning in to the world and being a friend to the world. It's not what this is. This isn't drawing near to God for just a couple of minutes and then go back to doing and nursing and maintaining the relationship and friendship with the world. This is a call to cut off one friendship that will steal your life and destroy your eternal life and the arc of your eternity and return to the one that will ultimately give you life. 
Are you with me here? This, so this is why I'm saying this isn't just like this kind of snuggle thing that's void of everything else. This is a very specific call from James. If you want to come near to God, what he means is you got to divorce yourself from the love and the friendship of the broken and fallen world and give yourself back to God completely. It only works as an exclusive friendship. It only works that way. And I say it's more than like this five minutes. It's going to be more, guys, than what we can deal with on a Sunday morning. Like, we just can't have a prayer time at the end of this and like be like, okay, that's good. I just want to be straight with you here. It just doesn't work like that. It's not that kind of coming near. Many of us have spent lifetimes accumulating, being experts at tuning ourselves into the ways of the world and just sitting down in that and going with the flow of culture. And it takes sometimes a long time to bend that arc back in another direction. James, I think this is why he gives us 11 steps to this. And so I'd like to start my 11-point sermon right now. Uh, no. Listen, and I want to encourage you, don't listen to the word only. I want you to be doers of the word, and you're not going to be able to memorize this maybe, so get out a, a phone and take notes, or better yet, go get your Bibles out this week and look at these verses and try and figure out how to put them into practice. Here's the steps. You want to come near to God, this whole process, you want to experience God's nearness to you. Number one, submit to him. Submit to him. Don't come to him proud. Don't come to him on a high horse. Don't come to him with all the answers. Lay down all of your pride and submit to him. Number two, resist the devil. One of the devil's best lies, you guys, is that you can't resist him. That when he comes for you, you might as well give in and just ask for forgiveness because it's just going to happen every day. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. The scripture says that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And we learn that from Jesus, right? Because he did that in the wilderness and showed us how to resist temptation. And he resisted and he resisted and he resisted and the devil had to flee. And we have the same spirit in us. So resist the devil. Do not live a life of obedience to your enemy of your soul, the thief who tries to steal and kill and destroy. Resist him. Number three, come near to God. Come near to him. Come near to him. Wash your hands, he says. So like all those habits of your body, like wash those. Purify your hearts. It's number five. Inwardly let the Spirit do His work. And then He's got these, like, the next five are about, like, taking a smile on your face and turning it upside down. <laughs> um, grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And you're like, man, that's some good news this morning, Eric, right? It's just, it's just what it is. If you have to admit to an affair, you don't go into that clicking your heels together. Right? If you've gone out on your, your exclusive friend and you've given yourself to another friendship, the way back into that nearness is not to come in like with rainbows and sunshine. There's some repentance. 
that needs to take place sometimes. This is where this is coming from. And then he, he ends this with humble yourselves before the Lord and he, he will lift you up. He will lift you up. But one last note, something we find when we do this, when we come near to God in these ways, you know what we find? We find that God has already come near to us. You don't ever make a first step towards God. You know, we never do this. Like God already made the first all the way to the thousandth moves towards you to even make it possible for you and I to come near in the first place. God was pursuing us long before we ever had a thought of tuning our lives to him. It's like, like imagine you, you go and you work up the nerve to ask this girl out that you've been wanting to ask out for a long time or something. And you finally go up to her and you're like, listen, can we get dinner or a cup of coffee or something? And she's like, you know what? Let me show you something real quick. And she goes into her car and grabs this journal full of prayers that you would ask her out. And she's like, I've given my heart to you a long time ago. I've just been waiting for you to ask. Yes, you know? And all the guys are like, man, I wish it was that easy. You know, like... This, this is something like what it's like, only infinitely more. You make a move towards God. You find that, that God's been massaging your heart and wrapping his arm around you and help making it possible for you to come near to him in the first place. That while you were a long way off, God was scanning the horizon Amen. for you. Getting the party ready for you. Stretching out his arms to get ready for the hug. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Will you pray with me? I want to invite the band to come if they would, and let's just take a moment. Again, this is something that doesn't get fully dealt with in kind of our response, prayer time, song. But we sure can start. And maybe there are some areas in your life that if you are honest, you have been tuned into the wrong kingdom. Been nursing a little relationship on the side. Maybe it's greed, maybe it's fame, notoriety, uh, accolades, stuff. Maybe you've been coveting some of these things James talks about. Maybe it's something else for you. Um, there's no morning like this morning to choose to leave it and to come near to God instead. And so God, um, as we pray and as we sing, uh, we want to commit to you this morning. We want to confirm our desire for you. God, um, we recognize that even being in your presence at all is a gift of grace. We thank you for giving us more grace. Uh, and, and we ask, God, that you would enable us to walk into that grace by your spirit to come near to you. Uh, we repent of the ways that we have lived according to different kingdoms and nursed other friendships. And God, we come to you and we desire you and God, we just ask that this morning you would help us to get comfortable 
to tuning in to you and your kingdom and your ways, that we would just sit down in that and sink deep in the reality of your presence this morning. We need you. We love you. We long for you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Would you stand?